Welcome to another edition of our Four Questions Journalist Spotlight. This year we've got a this, this year this year I don't know what this year is this week let's just go with the week this week we've got a great guest we've got uh, Kirsten Palladino who is uh, the editor of Equally Wed magazine and she's got a couple other projects she's going to talk about too but that's how I got to know you initially through Equally Wed so we're going to start with that and then we go to some other stuff but give me give us a little feel first for kind of what's your what's your journalism background and uh, then we'll, we'll talk about Equally Wed a bit. Sure. Uh, well, first, thanks for having me, Mitch. Uh, I'm very appreciative to be on here. And I have been in the Atlanta media scene for a little over 20 years. I have worked at most of the publications in town, whether freelance or on staff. I've, I've worked at national publications that have been based here, like Atlanta. I mean, I'm sorry, Art and Antiques Magazine, which is now in New York. Uh, and then, you know, I've, I've worked for uh, Atlanta Homes and Lifestyles. I've been on staff for Atlanta Magazine. I'm now on their editorial board. Uh, I interned at Creative Loafing. I was a life and food editor for the Sunday paper, which is now closed, but it was an all-weekly. And in 2008, while I was working at the Sunday paper, my girlfriend at the time, now my wife, proposed to me. And... We just, you know, I was over the moon, excited to plan our wedding, uh, but I also was quick to realize that there were no wedding publications really geared toward people like us. And we had an incredibly hard time finding wedding vendors in Atlanta who wanted to work with us on our wedding. And at the time, same-sex marriage was not legally recognized in Georgia, but it was recognized in other states. And for us, we were ready to get married whether or not we had the legal recognition. So we were planning our wedding, you know, to us, you know, same sex weddings were not banned. It we just weren't going to get a piece of paper from our local government. So we were planning right. our wedding at, and we realized that we needed, um, we needed more inspiration than we were getting. We needed more information than we were getting and we needed more inclusive vendors than we were getting. So we decided uh, because I'm a writer editor and my soon to be wife was a, a graphic designer web developer, we decided to launch our own wedding magazine uh, called Equally Wed. And so we launched officially in 2010. And then when um, the Sunday paper closed in 2011, when I was eight months pregnant with twins, but um, that uh, <laughs> it was a perfect segue to running Equally Wed full-time. And so now we've uh, just celebrated our 10th year anniversary in publishing. And while we thought we were going to go to print eventually, print just uh, it, every magazine continues to close, you know, over the years. And as much as I love print, it just has never seemed like a wise investment. So we just stay online and loved it. Um, we are the number one LGBTQ plus wedding publication worldwide in terms of traffic and readership. And we just love what we do. That's awesome. So when you... When you uh, were looking at, at this, I'm sure you were researching kind of what was out there. Was there anyone? Was there was there another publication, at least even in the U.S. Mm -hmm. um, to what you were what you were looking for? The only thing that we found after we started researching to launch Equally Wed, not when we were planning our own wedding, uh, there was a website called um, Gay Weddings, which has now been purchased by Wedding Wire. But it wasn't a full publication. It was more of a, um, they sold like different trinkets, like, you know, two brides on t for the cake topper, two grooms. And they had a few different blog posts, but it wasn't, um, it didn't represent us. And it wasn't uh, representative of the entire LGBTQ plus community. It was more geared toward cisgender 
uh, gays and lesbians. And then there was also another um, place called Rainbow Wedding Network, which still does um, w traveling wedding shows for same-sex couples. But um, neither were what we were looking for. We wanted something like what we see in The Knot or Brides Magazine or Modern Bride, which is closed now. Uh, and that wasn't available to us. So that's why we decided to create our own. So 10 years in, that, that's awesome. I, I remember when you guys launched. You were so, at our launch party. Yeah, yeah. That, that's, that's right, I was. I <laughs> 10 Thank years you. ago. Mm -hmm. um, so, so, so are there, I, I imagine there have been some other, other pubs that have popped up. Mm -hmm. So, yep. you, but you said you've got a kind of a global audience, not just U.S. So how do you, how do you, um, how do you find those stories globally? And do you, do you have a team of freelance writers? How, how does that work? We do have freelance writers, but we have an open submissions policy and couples and wedding pros from all over the world reach out to us and, and want to share their stories with us. So, so we're really not looking for them. They're coming to us. Uh, they find us, um, you know, we were really lucky to have some great press coverage early on. So uh, we launched in March. We had our um, launch party in June. And in July, the New York Times did a huge print feature on us. And that really catapulted us into another sphere of being known. And then CNN had us on a few times to discuss marriage equality and uh, the business of weddings. And so I think that helped us early on. And then, you know, now with social media, you know, couples are finding us from Ireland, uh, India, different Asian countries, Australia. It, it, the Internet has really equalized um, geography. So we're, we're about 70 percent U.S., but people are reaching out from all over. And um, and it's incredible. That's, that's great. That's great. Um, so uh, let's see. I think it'd be good. So I know you've got um, you got another publication that we mm -hmm. want to talk about too, called Survivor Lit. And so talk talk to us about about how that worked. What that one? Sure. About. So we just launched Survivor Lit um, in September. So it's brand new. And what it is, it says SurvivorLit.org, and it's a nonprofit literary community for and by sexual assault survivors. Again, it's an, another thing that. Um, I saw a need for and didn't see it in the world and wanted to put it out there. Uh, there are, you know, I mean, it, the, the numbers are incredibly high of sexual assault survivors uh, in our in our world at every, I'm not even going to try to quote the statistics from Rain, but um, sexual assault is a huge issue and uh, one of the ways that is healing for many different sexual assault survivors is to tell their stories. And oftentimes what happens is that we, uh, I'm a sexual assault survivor um, a few times over. And so for me, what I realized was sometimes it's hard to tell your story out loud uh, and also to find people who might want to listen. Uh, and also might, you know, not everybody is equipped to respond with things that are going to be helpful. Uh, sometimes they can be unintentionally harmful with their responses. But one way that is really uh, good to explore your story and to um, understand it and understand it better and get to a better place of healing is by writing your story. And I learned that um, just maybe, uh, let's see, 
about 10 years ago, I started, I started writing my story first um, because it was really intimidating to say it out loud. And I started to write a memoir and I met other writers who were writing about their sexual assault stories and I learned how valuable it is. So I wanted to create a space where it was safe to share your story, but also to learn from um, published authors and uh, writing experts about how to tell your story um, in a way that is is art. It's not just, you know, a diary entry. It's how to bring alive, you know, your memories and how to, you know, learn what to put in and what to leave out and, and how to make it, uh, you know, an interesting story that people would want to read um, just to celebrate that art, that crafting of story. But also, um, Carrie Fisher said, take your broken heart and turn it into art. And I think that that was really poignant and and that's um it's really what it's all about but we want to grow to um we're going to be launching a podcast soon um interviewing published authors who've written you know memoirs not solely about their sexual assault but who've included it in there and then also retreats where writers can come um, or sexual assault survivors can come and and learn more about how to write their stories and learn from experts but also um, how to practice self-care while doing it. So we've got, uh, you know, a lot down the pipeline. I'd love to bring the program into prisons and um, colleges, but, you know, COVID has to go away first. Yeah. So so I'm assuming this is a digital platform? It is, yes. Digital digital only for now. Sure. What, what's, the, what's the URL website oh, for that? It's uh, survivorlit.org. Okay. So you can see that. That right below there for people who are watching. And if you're listening, write it down that way. <laughs> uh, so, okay. So the podcast, is, and is that going to be an audio podcast or a video or maybe a combination of both? I am still thinking about that. We, I was planning on audio only, but um, I, a lot of people are moving into video and audio podcasts. So I'm, I'm not sure yet. Uh, yeah. This will be my first podcast foray into podcasting. Um, I've got, you know, started to get my equipment. Um, but, uh, I don't know. What do you think? Um, well, I think there's an opportunity. To, it's not that hard to do both. Mm-hmm. You know, once you do video, it's easy to just make the audio feed of it too. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's true. It's, it's easy. You, you give people options. So if they're, if they are, uh, you know, if they're, if they're in the car driving, then they play the audio version. But if they're, at home or walking or something, and they've got their phone, then they could do the video version. That's uh, true. It seems like it's, you know this this the, you know those kinds of stories could be powerful if you see the person who's talking too. That's true. If you see if you have video along with it, is it still a podcast? <laughs> I'm calling it a podcast. <laughs> I call this a podcast. Okay. All right. Okay. Good to know. <laughs> or, or or video blog or I don't know. Yeah. Whatever you whatever you want to call it, right? There's so much. There's so much out there. It's hard to keep yeah. up with what yeah, that is. Yeah, it's it's whatever you want to call it. That's but, true. Uh, all right. So, uh, so equally wed, survivor lit. Um, was there something else that you were working on? Well, we have equally wed pro along with equally wed, which is um, it's not in its, it. It does have a blog component, but it's not a, a media platform per se. What it is, quality around the country, around the world, excuse me, and why that should matter to your business. And then how to make your business more um, authentically LGBTQ plus inclusive from your marketing verbiage to your um, 
to your contracts, how you even um, speak to your couples on email, you know, training your team uh, to, you know, basically be not just professional friendly, but also gender neutral and to not assume things about um, about the couple or the client that you're working with. So we have that certification program over at equallywebpro.com. And that really has come from a need learning about, you know, what we experienced planning our own wedding, but then 10 years of publishing hundreds of, of not thousands of LGBTQ plus weddings, realizing that that discrimination um, overt or covert and, and also intentional and unintentional uh, that's happening around the globe, it's, it's still happening even this year. So we're just trying to um, improve the wedding industry to make it more inclusive and then also just to uh, increase the, um, the pool of inclusive vendors for our community to choose from when they're planning their wedding. Yeah, and I'll, you'll see the there's the I've got the URL for that one floating down there too right now. Um, so it, I was just curious, you know, ten years have you seen changes in how uh, how vendors are working? I mean, obviously, there's a lot of you've been training vendors and kind of identifying appropriate vendors for your for your audience. You know, are, are there a lot more? Is it better? What, what kind of how has the situation changed in ten years? Mm-hmm. Um, well, we have gone, um, I think statistically, we were at a, a 30 to 40% um, support of marriage equality and same-sex weddings all, overall back in um, when we launched in 2010. And now we're up to 65 to 70% of the United States supporting marriage equality and same-sex marriage. I mean, we have marriage equality on a federal level, just, you know, Speaking to your audience, you may not know that we got federal marriage equality passed June 26, 2015, but that doesn't mean that we don't still have people in our country who are against our marriages, even though they are legally recognized. And so there are um, there are still plenty of vendors out there who don't want to work with same sex couples. Uh, I, I break it into three different categories, and um, there's the cat there's the first category who are very interested in working with our community and um, and don't want to just tolerate us, but truly celebrate us. And then there's the next, um, and then also already understand inclusivity. You know, they still can learn some more things, but they they have they have it down. Like they're um, they're invested in that work. And then there's the next segment of community that really. Um, you know, is absolutely okay with the LGBTQ plus community. But they, um, and they, they believe that love is love and they believe in marriage equality, but they don't exactly have the terminology and who can blame them. I mean, we're all just learning. Um, we weren't, we weren't taught this in home ec or, uh, or anything, you know, in high school or even college, maybe colleges are offering this class now of inclusivity and awareness, but it's just not something that most of us grew up with. So it's, it's understandable um, and that they just need a little extra help and they're wanting that help. And then there's another segment of population that um, isn't interested in working with our community. And that's fine. They're, they are not our target audience. Um, right. There's, there's plenty, plenty of target audience out there, right? Right. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, but I would say that, um, you know, every year we're making um, big progress, uh, but then every month uh, couples come to us and, um, and tell us that they were turned down by another vendor. Uh, so it's, I mean, it's definitely still happening and it's happening in cities uh, where you wouldn't always think, you know, you think, oh, Portland, it's so progressive. It's that there are, um, you know, things happening there that are disappointing. It's everywhere. So, you know, we're just 
it's just, it's a constant, a work in progress, as, as is the world. Yeah, well, it's interesting. Do you, do you find that, um, you know, that transgender, where you, where you have to talk to people uh, using different pronouns, mm-hmm. is, is, I, I see that as a, sometimes a challenge for people. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and on different levels, too. You know, um, even people within the LGBTQ plus community are not all familiar about pronouns, why we should use them, why you should share yours, even if you, you know, if you were assigned female birth and identify as female now, which is me, and that's, that's what cisgender means, not the female part, but if you align with the identity that you were assigned at birth by your doctor um, or your parent, if you're born at home with no doctor, uh, um, <laughs> then you're cisgender, and the bulk of society is cisgender. If you do not identify with the gender that you were assigned at birth, then you're transgender, um, and transgender people tend to use the pronouns with, that align with the gender that they identify with, but then there are non-binary people who um, don't identify with either gender or identify with both genders or um, uh, or more than the two genders that we are yeah. mostly familiar with. So, and then they use they, them pronouns. Um, uh, there, there's a, uh, well, talk about that later. I was going to talk about something else. Um, okay, so <clears throat> now the hard, the really hard question now. Okay. Okay, so... What is the coolest thing about you? Um, okay, well, I am trying to learn to read tarot cards. That is, uh, I don't know if it's the coolest thing about me, but it's the, to me, it's the coolest thing I'm interested in right now. Okay, that's good, that's <laughs> good. All right, so uh, what's the last book you read that you wanted to admit to publicly? <laughs> um, well, I'm really into memoir, and the last memoir I finished was Wild Game, and it's um, about a woman whose mother uh, woke her up in the middle of the night and told her about a married man that kissed her. Um, and she was, her mother was married at the time as well. And so it was uh, basically uh, uh, having, about Matt having a mother with, with no boundaries um, and who uh, wanted her daughter to grow up too fast. So it was, it was a very well-written book. And who's the author? Adrian Brodeur. B R O D E U R. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll double check. And, it's really uh, good. Include, yeah. Include that. Okay, favorite Atlanta restaurant. Oh, there's so many good ones. You know, I used to be a, a restaurant editor. Um, I think the one that uh, always makes me happy when I go to it is um, Miller Union, uh, it, by um, Stephen Satterfield. It's, it's delicious, and I'm a vegetarian. They have over on that's over on the west on the west side. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, Favorite guilty pleasure? Oh, goodness. Um, chocolate milkshakes. Good, good. All right, local getaway. Where do you guys, where do you guys like to go? Oh, we love um, going up to Asheville. There's always something new to go to and, you know, just either staying in the city or getting a cabin. Uh, favorite, favorite getaway for sure. Okay. How old are your kids now? They are nine. Nine already? Mm-hmm. Oh yep. Nine. Yep. Wow. <laughs> Um, okay, favorite non-work hobby? Oh, um, everything crosses over. You know, when you own yep. your own business. Like, um, but um, I think I, for me, it's hiking. I love hiking. I love getting outside. And, and that's the easiest way for me to leave my work behind, truly. Yeah, it's just leaving the house altogether. Do you have a, a nice, quiet 
place that you like to hike? Is there, you have a favorite hiking place? Oh gosh. Um, I, yeah, I love, um, oh, there's so many. And then there, there's some that I don't even like know the names of. You just find them on that, um, AT or all, all, all trail, the all trail app. Right, right, right. Um, but yeah, um, there's a few around our house and then there's, um, I've recently been to uh, Low Water, Low Water, and then Lower. going uh, alongside the Chattahoochee is fun. Um, anything that doesn't take too long of a drive, uh, so that my kids aren't over it by the time we get there, is right, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Low Water, Low Water is great. You can, yeah. There's the suspension bridge you can walk across, mm-hmm. and, and the, yeah. the old mill, the old mill there by the creek <laughs> is, is is great. Yeah. I'm yeah, just I, taking like um, two or three hour hikes, but that. That's not going to happen again for a few more years. I think waiting, waiting for the kids to get longer legs. Yeah, you know, build, build them up to it. They build them <laughs> yeah, up. That's just, true. You know, get them used to enjoying hiking, and then, um, then you'll build them and trick them into. So it's just a short hike. Right. That's true. Yeah, they're always a little res- reticent to start, but at the end, they're like, "This is amazing!" So yeah, go see. Um, go see water, water, so many waterfalls and mm-hmm. great places in Georgia. That's um, true. All right, so. Let's see. Have we have we forgotten anything? I know we've talked about a lot of stuff. Have we not anything else we haven't talked about that you want to touch on? Um, no. Uh, you know, obviously that. Uh, you know, we are um, both publications. Well, all three equally wide, equally wide pro and survivor lit. Um, we do um, take freelance submissions, but I'm also always open to um, expert advice. There's so many different topics that we can yep. cover. So. Um, just feel free to reach out about that or, or anything at all. If you ever have a question about LGBTQ plus inclusivity, um, you can ask me anything. And you, uh, I think you mentioned you were looking maybe for sponsors for Survivor Lit too. Is that correct? Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. So we're, um, you know, it's a nonprofit publication, brand new. We do have our 501c3 um, status we just got in September. And we're looking for sponsors who, um, you know, want to get in front of the, uh, the audience uh, of sexual assault survivors, which, you know, is, is uh, um, we have them in every community around the world. We're looking for people who, um, you know, are companies such as, um, you know, wellness companies or um, retreats, anything that uh, you think would be beneficial to sexual assault survivors. Um, we would love that so much. Yeah. So yeah, please get in touch. Got a couple of ideas. Mm-hmm. All right, cool. Well, we've been talking with uh, Kirsten Pelladino, Equally Wed, Survivor Lit, Equally Wed Pro, mom of two crazy, rambunctious nine-year-olds. <laughs> I, my, mine, are, mine at least have like a year and a half between too. Yeah. <laughs> at, least I, at, least I, at least I got that. Well, thank you. I appreciate your time. And uh, next week we will have another uh, episode of our four questions journalist spotlight. So tune in next Sunday. Thank you, Kirsten. Thank you, Mitch.